Hey guys, Adam here. This is not an episode of the Startup Diary and there's no Harrison on the mics today. Before you stop listening, this is still going to be an interesting show. This is an episode of Startup Stories. This is where I get to interview interesting people from the world of business and hear about their journeys, their wins, their losses and what they've learned along the way. If you would like to go and catch up with every episode because season one has already finished, head over to Startup Stories and hit subscribe. Alternatively, we're going to be dropping every show here every Saturday until the end of season one. There's eight episodes in each season. Enjoy. Harry, thanks for joining us on the mics today. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, so let's get straight into it. For anyone that's listening to the show that doesn't know about uh, the Goat Agency or actually influencer marketing, mm. uh, can you just sort of get everyone up to speed with who you are, what you do, and, and what you guys do here? Cool. Yeah, I'm Harry. I'm 24. Uh, I'm one of three founders at the Goat Agency. We started the business three and a half years ago. Uh, we started with no money. Uh, we saw a gap in the market, which was influencer marketing. And uh, yeah, we've grown the business in three and a half years to 120 people with four worldwide offices in London, Monaco, Singapore, and New York. Um, we're the biggest influencer marketing agency in the world, as far as we're concerned, uh, in terms of the amount of money um, we bill to clients, the amount of money we put into the influencer market, um, the campaigns that we run with the clients that we have, uh, the headcount we have. So it's been, a, it's been a mad journey. It's been a tumultuous journey. Like it's been up and down. Um, you learn a lot when it's your money yep. at stake, uh, which is, awesome and the project we had before which i'm sure we'll talk about uh it wasn't our money so we learned a lot with other people's money which was great um and when i talk about money i'm talking about like 18 million quid in two years so we managed to spend that very very wisely uh on things that made us fail quickly which meant that, that we could learn even faster um and uh, yeah it's been a, been a crazy journey but a very very enjoyable one and one that i wouldn't replace for anything else no i like it uh, just to dig into a couple of things there for someone that doesn't know what influencer marketing really yeah, is of course. Like, what does that mean so yeah influencer marketing is a technique that i suppose has been around for the last three four years by utilizing people who have large social followings online so the people you see on instagram youtube facebook twitter snapchat twitch whatever your whatever the platform that you prefer is who then um are paid by brands to create brand messages branded content in order to influence which would be i'm putting in uh hyphenated uh characters but um, influence their audience to do certain things, buy certain products, talk about certain uh, items, services, whatever it is, um, in order to influence decisions. And that's, I mean, it's the simplest form of marketing. It's word of mouth redefined for the 21st century where word of mouth is now in a place where all of it happens in uh, the social media sphere rather than it used to happen in the pub. And now it happens uh, on Twitter and Facebook and, and uh, Instagram. So. The, the world's just changed. Social is everything. And influencer marketing is just the new word for word of mouth. Like it. There's a couple of things I want to dig into while we're on the mics is, firstly, I really want to learn about the first year, what it was like at Go. Yep. Uh, then moving on to scaling the team and then how you sort of move budgets. Uh, you made a really good uh, comment in one of the, I believe it was in one of the uh, vlogs that you did where you've moved yep. campaigns from like five grand to a million pounds. They're yes. the budgets you're working with. I want to learn about that and how you've expanded those, uh, whether it's with existing accounts or new accounts. Yeah. Uh, and then like the future of Go and what you see happening in this space. But before we get into all of that, um, 
talk to me about Sports Lobster. What happened there? Yeah, God, like, what, that what was, was that? Eighteen million quid spend. What did you learn? Uh, yeah. And then sort of what gave you the confidence it, you should do it again, or sorry, do something yourself mm. uh, and not take on external capital. You did, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, raised we didn't raise. Um, so yeah, Sports Lobster was a mad one. Um, so I got brought in when I was eighteen. I'd already run a business when I was sixteen in football. Yep. Uh, I got brought in by Aaron who is now my co-founder at GOAT, uh, who was the co-founder at Sport Lobster. I, I started on the same day as Nick, who's now the co-founder at GOAT as well. And there's three of us here. Um, he was an intern in the marketing department. I was working in the social department. There was literally five of us in a room. Aaron, his co-founder, a tech guy, me and Nick. Mm -hmm. And we sat in this tiny box room uh, with a dream. The dream was that we were gonna be bigger than Facebook, um, which sounds nuts. But when you buy into something so much, and when you're when you when you talk about it and talk to other people about it all the time, then you just believe in it. Yep. And the best example of that is Fire Festival, right? And it's literally that. And we we had a dream which we were going to be big on the Facebook. We were going to be the sport version of Twitter, whatever. And um, and it made sense. It was it was logical. It the theory was great because obviously people would want. A platform where they could talk about sport where it's built for sport fans it has everything they want logically it's brilliant yep. and it's why it was such a good investor product because investors could buy into it because you could tell a story and by the end of it they go why doesn't this exist whereas actually in theory social media was blowing up at that point 2012 2014 15 social media was blowing up twitter was huge it was like the center of sport conversation uh if you wanted sport news on time then you go on twitter and Facebook was still growing at that point, and it just introduced video. Um, and Instagram wasn't really a thing anywhere near what it is now. And YouTube was big, but it it didn't hold the same same value. And uh, yeah, we we raised eighteen million in two years. Uh, I went from a kid, eighteen, to a person who was running a five-person social media team worldwide. We grew from five of us in a room to 70 of us nick became head of marketing um and between aaron nick and i we basically ran the marketing of the, of the business and we generated two and a half million active users yep on on the platform um we did some mad stuff we we sponsored premier league football teams we sponsored the nfl we sponsored the nba we sponsored everything you can imagine we had Cristiano ronaldo as our headline ambassador he was a face of the brand um it was awesome it, if you could, sounds fun, man. Yeah, if you could pick like an eighteen-year-old boy who loves sport and put drop them into any job in the world over any period of time, 2012, 2014 was like the coolest time in sport. Anyway, you had the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, like everything you could possibly want, and then I got to do all of it with it, eighteen mil budget behind you, with eighteen million quid, like which it. meant that everyone <laughs> wanted to talk to me because everyone knew I had the money. So ah, everyone okay. took me to everything for free. I, if I wanted to sit courtside at the NBA, I could sit courtside at the NBA. If I wanted to, if I, on a Friday evening, I went, oh yeah, I really want to go and watch Liverpool this weekend. I could email the guys at Liverpool and I'd get the, a seat in the director's box the next day. Like it was, it was that level. We were the golden children of sport. And because Aaron and Andy, the founders weren't really, I mean, all credit to them, but they weren't really interested in the limelight, mm -hmm. despite having all the PR around the fact that we were growing so fast and we had the money. Nick and I were the, the face and Nick was 24 and I was 18 so it was just crazy <laughs> and we 
got to do everything we could possibly want. And and the beauty of the whole thing was we learned so fast. We were thrown in the deep end. I was given a million quid budget when I was 18. I was like, I don't have a clue what to do with this. Um, but we were just forced to work it out, which is kind of the beauty of marketing, really. Like, no one is born into understanding how it works. All of the people who've ever succeeded in marketing, be it at brands, be it agencies, be it people who've run their own businesses, it's all because they've just been given a challenge and they've had to solve it. And that's what marketing is, problem solving to find audience that you're trying to attract to your product and make them buy it. So we had the problem of we need users on the platform and we need them fast. And uh, the solution was throw shit at the wall and hope it sticks. That was it. And then the beauty of that when you have so much money is when you're throwing that much shit at the wall, some Something of it sticks. going to stick. And influencer marketing stuck. And we're like, what is this? We paid one guy 10 quid, who I knew from my blogging days, and he drove 2,000 downloads. These are arbitrary numbers. Um, he drove 2,000 downloads, and then we paid Cristiano Ronaldo a lot more than 10 quid. <laughs> uh, and he drove 2,000 downloads. And we're like, oh, that, what? Like, this makes no sense. This person's got 100,000 followers. This person's got 120 million. He's the most followed man on the planet. And they do the same thing. So it's now not about followers. So we eradicated the thinking that followers were everything. Yep. Um, way before like all this influence of fraud, fake follower stuff, which we don't care about because we're like, followers don't matter. Um, and um, from that, we, we were like, okay, well, let's start tracking what works and what doesn't. Just to zoom in on that, why why is that the case? Or why was that the case? Why is the person with a fewer followers? Is it just high levels of engagement? Engagement and loyalty. Okay. Um, no one really cares what Ronaldo has to say for himself. They just care that he's Ronaldo. So they, at that point, was Ronaldo also pushing other things? He was, but we had a third of his social media Okay, output. so it's not in terms of it wasn't just like diluted volume. down. No, okay, wow, we okay. had, uh, let's say he posts five times a week. We had two posts. Oh, wow, okay. Um yeah it was it was the deal was crazy um and all credit to aaron for for doing that deal was it was crazy the the amount of exposure we got across everything and everyone in uk especially knew what sport lobster was um in the industry and uh and yeah we we then realized okay well let's pay 10 pounds to lots of different people with hundred thousand followers and then we're like okay well even at that level it doesn't make a difference. So some people work, some people just got nothing. And we're like, okay, this is weird. So sort of understanding all that data and then recording that data, understanding why, understanding if there was a different call to action, if there was different, like all the different variables and then just recording that and then realizing, okay, there's no rule. It's it's trial and error. And then we just built the biggest trial and error game in the world, right? This is, this is it. We're, it's an advertising channel, but good luck because it's a minefield and there's no way to automate it. You have to just do it. And that's why it's like, it's the purest form of marketing because you've you've got to put the money through in order to work it out. It's not just a surefire fix. And it's also why agency or paying an agency to do it who knows what they're doing is so much more valuable than doing it yourself because you can waste so much money by doing this. Um, and not everything works. We're not saying influencer marketing's perfect in every way that every person with 100,000 followers or 5,000 engagements is going to convert to the same amount of downloads or sales or whatever. We're not. We're saying we know who is. Okay. And that that's our that's our gold mine. And as soon as we worked out that that person with 100,000 followers provided the same value as the person who paid way more than 10 pounds was producing the same results, it was like bang, this is it and then we left. We so left Sport Lobster and that was it. So talk to me about that. What how was the decision to actually leave Sports Lobster and then start up 
goat? Like, what yeah, was that so, transition period like? So, yeah, so Aaron went on hun- his honeymoon in January um, 2015. And Nick and I were still, we were very senior at that business by then. Yeah. Um, and Aaron left, he came back, He, uh, but he left the company after his honeymoon. Okay. He just didn't believe it anymore. It's difficult for him to keep sending to investors when you don't believe to it. And we made not a penny in revenue. So it was literally, we were burning cash. Um, and we sat down with him when he came back and we're like, look, just to let you know, we set our company up three months ago called Go, um, Nick and I. And we run this one campaign for someone else because we realized how much power we had in the marketing team that no one else knew how to do this. So we just run a campaign, which is the uh, film poster over there, which is our first ever campaign. That's cool. Um, there's only two film posters in the world of that film. It was that bad. One of them was our <laughs> New, office, New York office and one of them was our London office. That's amazing. Um, we spent a fortune just tracking them down just because it's like, that is like the awesome POS memorabilia. Um, and we sat down in Coat Brasserie in High Street, Ken. I remember very clearly. And he, Aaron said he wanted to set up a talent management agency. Mm-hmm. We said, we're not sure that's the way to go forward. Um, so instead, let's, let's just do it as an agency where we own nothing and we do it. And then Aaron saw the model, understood it, understood what we'd been doing. Because obviously he wasn't doing it every day at uh, Sport Lobster because we were doing it, we yep. were running it every day. And then it's all, okay, this is a huge opportunity. Why aren't we just doing this now? And then we was like, we literally shook hands at the table. Me and Nick walked back into the office, asked for a meeting with Andy, resigned. And then we started. I, I didn't. I had gardening leave. Nick worked out for four weeks, and uh, we just started from there. We're like we, Nick and I were on pretty good salaries at that point. You know, I was twenty, so I was earning way above my age range. Yep. Um, and I had no savings because I'm rubbish for money. So, and I had a lot of rent to pay every month, and I just went, we'll work it out, and that was it. Were you still thinking about uh, sports as a niche? Yes, yeah, sport, sport was our, was our okay. focus because all we knew, when I, when I talk about the trial and error, yep. all we trial and error did is sport pages, right? So all we could ever do at the start was sport that we knew we could deliver. And we understood, having spent millions of pounds on agencies at Sport Lobster, we knew that the value in an agency doing what they say they were going to do is greater than anything else because we employed so many agencies that just didn't they pitched the stuff and we're like that's great do that and then they didn't do it or they couldn't do it it's like well what if we're just the agency that does what we say we can do so the only thing we knew what we could do was sport so we just did that and we got our first client in the first weekend they did five grand um we delivered 10 grand worth of value he spent 10 grand next week there were 20 grand worth of, like it was literally like bang 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 we're like this is brilliant so talk to me about the company format in those in the sort of first one to six months three person team so how quickly did you start Aaron, scaling the business Aaron, Nick and I so we started officially in August and who does what in the company at this point like what so, yeah, are the so, Aaron, so Aaron, Nick and I started in August that was our first campaign mm-hmm. uh, Aaron was the sales guy Nick was the cu- customer relationship like account management yep. and I was the guy who worked it out um, and that was always a dynamic and it's still a dynamic mm-hmm. and it really if you break down our whole business even if it's 120 people like those are the three roles you can sell you look after the customer and put together proposals and you deliver they're the three roles but you roll that this is 
something that I'm really curious about. So we're a, we're a relatively small team. There's 12 of us. Yeah. Uh, and as we sort of try and build out our company structure, like I'm confused to how agency internal structures work. I actually heard, I think it was on one of your vlogs in terms of like, you didn't go and look at what other agencies are doing. No. You just replicated. I've got no, I still have no idea what an ag another agency <laughs> looks like. I've got no idea. I've got friends at work and I'm like, why do you do that? And it's literally that. Why, why okay. do the sales guys create the proposals? Obviously they look shit because they're not designers. Yep. So let's get us, let's get the best fucking designers in London building the most amazing deck and it's just human psychology when people look at something and it looks nice they obviously think it's going to be better mm -hmm. and they think the quality of the work we deliver is going to be better now we believe that the work is way better and yep. it proves to be better but a sell is is everything it's first impressions it's what you wear it's what you what the deck looks like it's how you present the deck like it's everything so making different processes in the business work on the different things that we knew were important was was very important now that only came later at the start it was the three of us that was august by november we'd signed i signed we'd uh we brought in frankie who was my number two at sport lobster yep um because we knew that between nick and aaron we could go and sell pretty much anything and we just had to work it out so i need more people to work it out with me uh frankie was the obvious choice um he came in we worked out a bit more about how we could scale it so by this point we'd moved from sport no we'd moved from football to sport because they're very different things um and so me and frankie work out how to do sport and then we scaled it we brought in emily uh who came in as an account manager to take the strain off nick because we we're getting so many clients that me and frankie could just deliver and deliver because we we're doing relatively small campaigns um, so brought in Emily as account manager. She's now campaign director. She's moved across different sections of the business. Um, and we didn't bring in a salesperson until 2018. So three years in. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, everything was sold through Nick and Aaron and I. At that point, no funding. How are you guys getting paid? Or is it basically what you earn is what Profit. you get paid? Yeah, yeah. Profit. Okay, cool. We, we've, we've only, we still don't have salaries. We're still all dividends. It's profit from day one, every month. Nice. I like that. Uh, you mentioned working on smaller campaigns and you grow this, the company. Uh, and now you, you started on 5K campaigns and now you do million pound budgets. Yeah. But you seem to have done that very quickly in terms of how you increase the budgets. Is that a result of the your clients becoming more receptive to influencer mm. marketing? Like, are you just getting more budget from their marketing yeah. spend? I'd, I'd love to say it's all because we're amazing. Okay. And there's certainly an element of that. But the market... And the willingness to spend on influencers because of the PR, the results, mm -hmm. the everything that comes with it has gone like that. Meaning that the the budgets themselves have grown exponentially. So what we can potentially access is huge. But I think like you referenced earlier, is like how can we? We were the only guys early on where we worked out that influencer budgets didn't really exist, but other influencer people were trying to sell influencer budget. Um, so okay. that influencer budget was like five grand. Um, test basically it was a test and learn section of people's marketing budget. We realised that actually if we just package influencer marketing up as a media buy, then they've got millions to spend on media buy. So if we'll just take one percent of that if we package it against that budget rather than this tiny budget that okay. they're only going to be judging on certain things. We'll just go right up against the thing that they spend the most money on. And we'll just try and take a percentage of that. And if we take, we end up taking 20% of the world's media buying budget, we'll be billionaires. And we're like, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's enough. Like for me, like, 
we're happy for loads of people to compete in this market because there's so much budget. Mm-hmm. We just believe that it's being wasted on the wrong media channels or it's being oversaturated on the wrong media channels where 100% of the budget is going towards Facebook paid or Google paid, whatever. And that's just not the right mix. Now, we uh, 100% don't believe that all of your budget should go to influencer marketing. That is not our belief whatsoever. Um, but we believe that the percentage of um, budget that is used on influence marketing is massively under-indexed to what it should be right now. Okay. Um, and we think it should get to about 15 20%. I'm really getting to the weeds of it now. So in those early days, sort of the five, seven-person company, yeah. how are you balancing the fact that you've got to spend your own cash to test at this point whether the influencers yeah, so in new spaces this is where driving value? Yeah, this is where... Uh, I suppose me and Frankie paid for ourselves in everything we did. So we worked out how we could deliver the 100% of the results we guaranteed. So we guarantee results up front. So what does that, I've heard you mention that on the vlog. What does that actually mean in terms of like downloads, impressions, whatever it is? Whatever it is, we guarantee it up front. And uh, yeah, you you don't pay us if we don't hit it. How do you have the confidence to do that? We have the data. We know exactly what's going to happen, right? But, but in the early days, you didn't have the... Oh, you did previously we have did, some right? experience. That's it. Course, we yeah. only did the football stuff. So I knew exactly... And we did... We The beauty of the Sport Lobster thing was all I cared about was downloads. So all the impression, the followers, the impressions, the engagements, the clicks, all that didn't matter to us. Irrelevant to it's you at that point. downloads. Like, um, that's all brands care about. It's the thing right at the bottom of the funnel. Those things change. It could be downloads, it could be video views, it could be... Uh, sales, it could be deposits on betting products, it could be all sorts of different things, but those things change. But all that matters is the bottom of the funnel. And it's about how you can be as efficient as possible down the funnel to get to the bottom. And we were just, we just cared about that. So we guaranteed against that. And then you don't pay us if we don't hit it, but we knew what was gonna happen anyway. So the- That's cool, man. And the where Frankie and I paid for ourselves is we were obviously building all the deliverables and what we were gonna guarantee the client. Mm-hmm. And we worked out if we can guarantee them the results and that's a hunt. So let's say we, we, we need to get to 100% to guarantee the results to get paid. If we can do that with 80, let's say we take a 40% margin. Mm-hmm. Which again, these are all arbitrary numbers. They say, so we, we spend 60% of the budget. What if we spent or what if we were able to deliver the results with 50% of the budget and then we had 10,000, 10% uh, where well, we could just test? On the same shit, yep. but we could just trial stuff. And that was it. We just built an arbitrage machine where we knew we could deliver with X percent. So let's say 80% of the delivery, no, 100% of the delivery could be done by 80% of the budget. And the rest of the money, we could just push into things that would still be relevant for the client, but it might massively over-index or massively under-index, but it didn't matter to us because we knew we'd already done the numbers Long, anyway. Longer term learning for you on, yeah, so we, on budget. And now agreed. we do that with probably, so this year we'll spend 20 million quid on influencer payments. Mm-hmm. So we might spend five to six million quid trialing shit. But it doesn't matter to our clients. Clients are paying us to do it. Yep. It doesn't matter to them because we've already guaranteed them the results. That, that, and that six million quid might get them 400% more than we guaranteed. Or it might get them 102%. On that note, how are you? How do you structure that deal in terms of making sure that when you do over-index, that you capture some of the upside? Or is that not part of Yeah, it's not part deals? of it. Like, uh, okay. It's something we're looking at, but because we don't, because it's trial, we mm-hmm. don't really know what's going to happen. Um, the second time, we, we've, we should probably do it. But yeah, but it's, uh, it's just kind of a 
beauty of the self we say look we we're guaranteeing the hundred percent so anything past that you're getting for free it's like it's, it's a no-brainer it's, it's why a retention we managed to, tool for you guys they just yeah, come back at the end of the day why, don't they? it's why we managed to win such amazing clients so early we said to unknown uh, anonymous huge tech brand um we'll guarantee you whatever you're getting through paid we'll just do it cheaper we'll just guarantee that and they went obviously we'll do that and we went great we've got anonymous tech brand as a client yep it was easy like people like oh how do i get into, how do i get leads just be ballsy like what's the worst what's the worst that can happen really um you know and, and yeah you might lose that client forever but they're one client and there's thousands and we had to take some punts we've we've and also because it's our money we always had to take huge step changes right in order for it to make a difference to us and we've always wanted to earn more and more money as individuals mm -hmm. and now in order to do that we've had to make more and more profit in order to do that we had to get more clients um because we're not salaried and but it's because we didn't have any money in the bank let's talk about that it's a nice little segue in terms of the the scale you guys have got to a ridiculous scale from my perspective yep. in, a, in a short period of time uh, we're a 12 person team and we're going to try and get to hey, the fun years the fun, that's what I want to talk to you about is we're a 12 person team and we're probably going to get to 22 this time next year is, what, cool. is where yep. we're at that's where we're going uh, that's when it gets hard talk to me about that like where, where are the step changes that you've taken in the business and so, where, so when everyone's in a room yeah in one room and you can see everyone and you can talk to everyone without without don't get me started on this by the way because we've outgrown our existing office so there's like three little offices ah so it, that's a nightmare do you think that's a, I, I actually had a, a meeting with a guy last week and he was like that's a huge mistake like yeah, you need to be yeah, shoulders yeah. with the whole team when you're 12 people strong you yeah, should be shoulders with the whole team like, yeah I, I, I'd, space. Hate, I'd hate that you know Lee Wilcox yeah yeah yeah, yeah so we're about we're going to have his office because oh, he's, yeah, he's moving soon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, I actually yeah. messaged him yeah, yesterday yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good office <laughs> yeah um, but yeah like if you at that size the beauty of it is and we were lucky again we had the right space um, you can talk to each other without shouting now that sounds really simple mm -hmm. but if I want to talk to someone that's at the end of this office I have to walk for a minute in order to get there and then have a conversation now that changes the whole dynamic because I'd rather text them okay um, and that changes the dynamic so once we got to so the, one of our mistakes now we it was a mistake by learning was our second office so the one before this one was two floors and it made a huge divide in the company upstairs and downstairs how many people were you at that point we moved in there when there was 22 okay and we moved out of there when there was 55 is that the first little it's an interesting number it's the same as ours and, and where we're going to and the, yeah. the goal is that the first bit of pain point you had in terms of size of team like when did you start to think no the pain the first pain point was when we we're very much of get as much money out of get as much value for money as we've had out of a space yeah so we were 22 people in an office before that which could fit 10 <laughs> um, we've got it too good I'm, I'm like, referencing our producer over there we've got it too good at our space we um, we like, so that my first ever desk at Sport Lobster was a sofa um, and my last ever desk at Sport Lobster was a table tennis table so our attitude is like let's just squeeze everyone in and also the, the, the brilliant thing about squeezing everyone in is when you get a bigger space the gratitude for it and the the buy-in to that space is humongous Okay. So when we moved into here, after being in a, we were 55, 60 in a space that could fit 40, um, and I didn't have a desk for nine months, was, and some people didn't have a desk for nine months, was uh, 
was the wow this is awesome like and the ability to make those huge steps like when we were hiring people at the end of the last office uh knowing that they were going to be moving into this office really uh or hiring them to become members in this office yep. we'd still get them in for a week in the old office to to get the fucking hell it's annoying that no one's got any forks like where the why is there only 16 mugs there's 50 of us like those things <laughs> and then you move in here and go wow this is awesome and then that huge step change people are coming here who've only worked in here think this is like this is just normal the norm this is not normal this is like the top floor of bloomberg's old building this is the coolest office in london but the the requirement for, and, and the gratitude from people that have worked across all of our offices is ridiculous for this office versus people who've just worked in this office. Okay, um, and that's awesome. But yeah, I, the Tell the hard the, things. The step changes throughout the company from like the ten to the one twenty you're at now. Yeah, so so everything up until about fifteen twenty is is a breeze. For okay. me, like because you know everyone personally. Like we had a WhatsApp group chat. We were looking back on it a couple of months ago. Where like we'd be chatting on Saturday night just about what each other were doing on Saturday night like founders to new members of staff and it was all in this group um, group chat and I'm like fucking hell imagine if we did that now like <laughs> the mess that would make we had to get rid of the WhatsApp group chat when we were about 75 because someone you waited got, till 75 people to get rid but of but like it, people weren't talking about their nights out but okay. then if someone gets pissed and they do talk about their night out on a Saturday night big HR problem like that is a that is a uh, nightmare okay. right so we had to get rid of the ability for one person to talk to the whole company okay immediately yep um, but in the early days that was great and you build these amazing relationships with people and everyone pulls together because everyone's in it together and it doesn't really feel like founder versus yeah staff because they're all in the same room but all starting the same goal and everyone's doing the same stuff and everyone's doing everything because yeah your role is that but we need to get this proposal out for new look for a million quid let's all do that because it's very important for the whole business to change so those things were great and then once we got to about 25 we moved into the other office and we had people upstairs and downstairs that was a problem because not everyone could see what everyone was doing every day because then you start getting the people going what is that person doing are they are they doing the same amount as i am i'm doing loads of work like i should get paid more or like i feel really undervalued because i'm downstairs and it's like fucking hell it's like i haven't even thought about that sort of stuff okay and then then by like 30 or 40 you're writing travel policies about who can fly what class at what hour like i'm like I was 16 about three years ago, worrying about <laughs> what blogs I should put up. And now yeah. I'm worrying about whether or not someone should fly premium economy with BA if they're at a certain level in the company, uh, but only if they're flying for over six hours. Are like, you doing that reactively because yeah, someone's because had an argument yeah, about it? Or have you yeah. got someone externally giving because, you advice? Because I'd ne no, never that. It was okay. literally always reactive. And we were like, okay. fuck, like... I don't even know. I don't, I don't know the answer. Like someone comes to us and go, can I fly premium economy? I'm flying to Singapore. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, what What, what do other people do? And it was yeah. literally like, can you find out what other people do? Like, I've got no idea. And then just having to sit down and go, no, okay, these are our rules. Um, HR process. We didn't have a finance person until January 2018. One, no, no one doing our finances. No one who had any idea. We turned over six million that year. We had no idea what we were doing apparently it was a while well, CFO walked in in October he said he's never seen anything like it had a it. mild heart attack when you looked at what you were doing yeah so um, yeah so we've only been, we've only had a finance operation for a year and we've been going three and a half 
um, we were just like muddling through it, just hoping. This that is cash making me feel so much better. Yeah. Oh, I, honestly, our, our, it is. our business was an utter, utter shit show for two and a half years, um, but the thing that underpinned everything and made everything great. Yeah. We made money, and that solves everything because mm-hmm. makes everyone happy. Yeah. Because um, they can see the results they're they're creating are profitable and successful and pushing the business forward, and we're not the sort of people that pull like. We, we pay ourselves in dividends, so we, we pull the money, the, pull the profits, so that's how we get paid, but we've always invested money into the business. Obviously, look at where we're sitting, look at the amount of people that are here. But, but it feels like you're investing into the people significantly. I think I read a quote online, which was, it's all like irrelevant about age. Like if you're, if you're smart enough, you're old enough or something yeah, yeah, to that yeah. effect. Well, that's yeah, definitely really my philosophy, that. right? And, and it was Aaron's philosophy at Sport Lobster, mm-hmm. and he trusted me very young um, to do cool stuff. and. Yeah, our average age is about 24. Um, the average age in Frankie's team, so the campaign team, the guy's actually doing it, probably younger than 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're awesome. Like, our best members of staff are like, 18 months ago, we're stacking shells in Tesco. Like, it makes no difference as to what background you have, what degree you have, whether or not you even went to university. I didn't go to university. Um, I lasted 45 minutes at university, but that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's 45 minutes longer than me. <laughs> uh, I did a few open days um, just because it was like you can get out of school. Um, but yeah, like that requirement for just it's the intangible. Just be smart and, and honest and tell me when you don't know something because I'm sure someone here knows. Yeah. So it, from, from the vlog, it feels like the the team's got like a, a really great dynamic and real focus on the end goal. Yeah. I guess to ask the hard question is, what do you do when someone's underperforming and how does that affect culture? Like how quickly do you eject someone out of the business compared, Pretty quick. To, compared to coaching them through it? So it feels like you hire people that might have the right attitude towards the work and you mold them around the goat yeah. way of how to do campaigns. Yeah, so I think it depends. So different roles require different things. Mm-hmm. We're very brutal when it comes to hiring and firing. Um, and in order to really succeed in big business, you need to be. Um, not everyone you're going to hire is going to be the right fit. Uh, and we understood that pretty early on. And that, that's kind of at that 20 stage, 20, 25 stage. Okay. And we uh, we were beginning to hire in fours and fives and knowing that we were going to get rid of three. Um, and what defined us as leaders in the business was our ability to get rid of three and it not affect culture. How do you do that? Um, pretty honest at the start. Okay. Um you know that not everyone makes it here we we make it out and we kind of believe it but we make it out as if like this is the harvard of influence marketing yeah so you've got to be fucking good to get in so well done now you've got to be really good to stay in and you've got to want everything because we're going to give you all the tools doesn't matter who you are if you're in the door you get all the tools make use of the tools like we'll give you anything you want and I, we know that within about so in the campaign team this is me because I, I spend most of my time with that team which is yep. the biggest team in the company is about 65 70 something um, uh, we can tell if someone's going to be good within a month and we can tell if someone's going to be awesome within three um, and some people get to three and they're good and they'll stay because they're good um, but within a month we can we'll pretty much make a decision as to whether or not they're going to stay or not um because we've got we got very clear criteria as to what they need to be able to know and how good they need to be. A lot of it, and a lot of it is intangible. The ability to cope with pressure is 
like 90% of the requirement. It's mandatory here. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's so important. It's kind of what led my success in the delivery s- stage early on when it was like three or four of us. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, we know there's a problem. Like, just give me 10 minutes and I'll work it out. And then be able to go back in, like figure things out, move things around and go, okay, I've, I've got it. This is how we're going to do it. And then that work. But the panic, if, if panic in that team causes panic across the whole t- whole company, because those are the guys men know what to do. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh, calm down. Like, we've done this before. We we know things go wrong. We're an agency, right? Yeah, like a trained firefighter yeah, at that point. Yeah, so just, okay. that's why Frankie's really good. It's like, whoa, let's calm down. Let's, what have we done? What's not worked? Why are we spending that on that? Can we pull that budget back in? Like, all these just simple things, but you just, you can't think like that if you're panicking. So... Yeah, it, the basic, the most basic way of putting it is the campaign team are basically stock trading, um, because it's an arbitrage, because it's trying to narrow. Like we are stock yeah. trading value in the influencer market, and and you can measure results, and we can literally <laughs> measure live results. Yep. So that's really important to keep your cool. And then the other part is just be smart. Like there's there's things that you can do here which are like perception is a big thing in growing in a growing company when you're trying to stand out and trying to grow like leaving at 601 is not going to get you very far Mm -hmm. with your line manager because they're going to see you leave first every time now unless you're in at 7 a.m every morning and people know that then the perception play there is not smart when you're 12 people it's like "Mm." but when you're 100 people that's a very different thing yeah especially when we're we're so open to giving people opportunity and that's been our biggest success our biggest success is like you're young you're smart you're in you got through the interview stage well done here are all the tools we give you a week worth of training where you don't really touch the business you touch everyone all the senior leaders in the business they taught you through how to do things like like the ultimate induction and then it's like go do like here's your campaigns it's worth 200 grand it's worth a worldwide brand you're gonna be working alongside these and these people let's go um an opportunity right the and it all stems from aaron giving me the opportunity that's a culture that you guys built from day, day yeah, dot, basically six years ago and, and going ah, this is a million quid just work yep. it out uh, on that one thing that i'm super interested to know is at what point do you feel the need to bring in some senior figures senior figures yeah. gray hair into the business is what i've been like yeah so the oldest person in the business is 34 33 jesus um so pretty young yeah uh, but in so we have like what I'd call the business support team yep. which is a mix between HR recruitment uh, operations finance mm-hmm. that's business support that's like 15 people uh, that team is by far the oldest and that team is basically my and Aaron's team okay. um, Nick Martin Nick Martin CFO came in from KPMG he's 32 um, he's done 10 years at KPMG in Singapore um, two, uh, two years in Singapore sorry and 10 years in KPMG total he director level at M&A so you know we're obviously looking to potentially acquire some things this, t- this year and next year so that was interesting for us and we knew we needed a smart CFO so he came in uh, Josh who sold his jewellery business online jewellery business last year to the Heineken family um, for an extortionate amount of money um called Masoma, which is a huge jewelry brand in the UK. Uh, he came in as global director of operations. Um, again, like people, he must be 30, but 
it's it's not so much about age it's about a bit of work life experience yep. and, and being able to bring in um the the op- or the ability to question why and then give a potential other solution or an alternate view i guess it's having the the respect for the person who's questioning the why like yeah, when you bring exactly. someone in you need to respect why yeah and, and why i've just brought in it. um dan who i set up my business when i was 16 in because he's been running that business for eight years right and it's a small business but he's been through some shit because it's a small business and it's still a profitable business again we raised 50 grand at the start just to build some websites but mm-hmm. uh and i've raised money from Aaron's dad so there's a nice little cycle okay. going um so he's been through some shit over the last eight years and ups and downs some awful ups and downs but he's dealt with it all brilliantly and so it was like no brainer i'll help him sell that business and we just sold it like a couple weeks ago but you come work with me i'll give you a pay rise this is the situation this is what i need you to do and it's like bang like perfect someone who just got that alternate view who has a bit of life experience of running a business i can just we say because aaron and i especially and nick in the us is a bit different but aaron and i like whirlwind ideas machines we're like oh why don't we do this like this and then let's just spend 50 grand on this like and it's need we need people around us and that's why nick works so well whoa why are you doing that what what what's that going to do don't forget we're trying to do this in the long term and that's just completely because the size of the bets that you guys want to make now are just larger and the risk is higher uh no it's the it's the it's the amount of things we want to do ah okay the the bet is like that's the fun bit I want to spend 100 grand on doing something that we, we're looking at buying a football club that's one of our things because it's like why not <laughs> we, I, sat, I we sat in August last year Aaron and I around this very table on the 30, 31st of August and went god transfer deadline day is boring now and went what if it wasn't <laughs> what if people were coming into this office and we could actually sign players on this table that would be brilliant how do we do that and then the next meeting was our hospitality budget meeting uh, and it worked out about 100 grand we spent on hospitality over all our clients this year. And we're like, how much it cost to buy a non-league football team and like, do it up and build like the best hospitality experience possible out a non-league team that we owned? And it came out about 100 grand. And we're like, well, we'll scrap the hospitality. We'll just buy a club and make it the best corporate hospitality day in That's the world. That's cool, man. That's so like, just because we like to do shit, I don't know. Like, there's so the, much the thing opportunity that, in the space, and we just want to just want to be a part of it all. It's so exciting. We want to set up award shows. We want to put on events. We want to podcast. We want to daily vlog. Like the daily vlog was just me going. We should probably do this. And then I hired Matt. We said we should probably do this on Thursday night. We had no one in the video team at that point, and we hired four people who all started on Monday. <laughs> on Friday, Matt we, Matt was having his body painted by my girlfriend, who's body artist, uh, on <laughs> fr- on Friday, and uh, he's a cameraman, which is complete luck of the draw. And Vicky said, "Oh, Harry's looking for a, uh, a cameraman. Um, do you should we should probably go and meet him." And I I text him immediately saying, "Come to London um, in the next hour." And we sat down, we sat on those sofas over there, and I went, right, you got the job. So it starts Monday, 9.30, bring your camera equipment, and we'll just get going. And we vlogged, and we released our first episode that Monday. And we had a team of four, and we have a team of four that just works on the vlog. Is that because you guys don't have to answer anyone because you, you, you've, ra- yeah, you've raised no, raised no cash? Big. Yeah, you've raised no cash, you answered to no one, and if you want to make your own bets, you do so. Yeah, and it's our money. I'm jealous, man. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, if we lose, we lose hard. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... But when we win, it's like yes what a great yeah. decision that was and no one else can take the credit above us 
um, which is awesome. And it, it was just never the case of Sport Lobster. It doesn't matter how great we were, we were always being funded by that bloke over there. Yeah, okay. And that's just like... It's like the... Um, the best analogy is like old school Top Gear where they do like a huge road trip and they build their own cars and then one one break down and then you just have that little car that come around like the mini that was like battered and you just like look at the camera and go well this is like the booby prize that was what having an investor felt like it's like when something went well or went badly that guy just came around the corner and went mm, don't don't forget me like yeah, I'm over okay. here like what either what the fuck's going on or Oh, it's great that I was managed to. I'm part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying. Obviously, I'm trying to do the best for the company. Yep. So. So talk about the best for the company. What does, what does Goat look like in the next three to five years? Yeah, that's really tough. Um, obviously, we've only going for just over three years. Um, so to project. Yeah, that it's, far 12, actually is just, hard. it's a really good so point. Yeah, You're three years old. Twelve months out from now. What Twelve does it look months like? out from now. Um, I think we'll be 220, 250 staff. Mm-hmm. A um, couple more international offices, probably Australia. I was going to say, are those, are those new staff in other locations predominantly? Most of them will be in the UK, I think. Okay. Um, I don't think we'll get, outside of New York, I don't think we'll get past like 15, 20 in any other, uh, any other office. New York, I think we'll get to 40, 50, 60 maybe. On that note, are, they, are those offices as a result of your clients wanting you to be more global or because you see an increase no, we in took influencer? The bet. We took the bet. You took the bet. That's cool. Um, the, the bet on Singapore was literally, the bet on Singapore was actually a bet on Alex. So he's 26. He built seven million quid last year individually, uh, just on influencer work last year. So he's the biggest billing salesman in influencer marketing worldwide. I'm mm-hmm. very confident in that. There's no individual doing that much money who's not a founder. Um, and we were like, okay, well, in order to develop him to potentially be a, a leader of the whole business in the future, he needs to have gone and run his own business at some stage. So let's just send him to Singapore if he wants to do it and we'll give him all the business support of setting up all the admin stuff, but he's got to start from scratch. And we'll give him a, t- a tiny team of two or three people, locals, and then just see what happens. And he did 500 grand in his first two days. And we're like, what a fucking bet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but his personal development is, is actually what we're betting on there. Yeah, he's like, yeah. can he come back in six months time he's and be ready, business in the next two, three, and be five ready, years, yeah. yeah, and be ready to be CEO three years time and run a, a thousand person business. That's what we want. Um, so that was that bet but the bet with Nick was uh, our first international office was New York mm-hmm. we we probably all the all the um, all the other stories from all the other like digital founders that we know had set up in New York and failed because they sent someone else and we're like okay well our only solution is to send, send a founder who's going look around the room Aaron wasn't going to go I wasn't going to go we was like <laughs> <laughs> short story <laughs> mate <laughs> um, and uh and he's done an awesome job. Uh, he's been out there a year. Probably going to do another year. He's actually flying back today for the awards. Um, and he's in the office all next week. And it's, it's his first time for ever. I think he's only ever been in this office for like eight hours. We've had it for a year. Um, so he spent all his time out there. He made a huge life sacrifice for us to, in order to do that. But he's done an awesome job. There's like 18 people now out in New York. And we didn't hire the first person until I was there. So October. Um, he did it all on his own and again very similar to Alex Nick had never run his own business before he'd only ever done it with us okay I'd run my own Aaron run his own so like it was a big thing for us to go Nick go and do it mate like I want you at the end of this if we sell and we all want to are they acting like CEOs for that yeah wow okay that's it's cool obviously he's a founder yep but he's running the US okay Um, he doesn't really check in on the UK Um, 
so yeah it's it's cool like I don't know what we, where are we going to be in 12 months I'd like to be in Melbourne um, seems like a big market mm-hmm. I'd like to be in Dubai I'd like to have another European office Berlin or Amsterdam um, what's the benefits of having a global a briefs office? okay um, the briefs that come out come out of New York or Singapore actually or UK are global and the ability to pitch for global business when you have more global locations and more localities is is much bigger and obviously global briefs are much bigger than local briefs so that's big um and also like the certain locales just pick up local work so pointless having a, a, a an office in my opinion in italy because all that budget gets taken out from the uk and france whereas having a office in berlin is very powerful because germany uh, speaks german mm-hmm. and german is only in germany so all budget for germany so is decided in berlin okay so it, it's you literally you're very rarely getting budget in the german market and it'll only ever come from amsterdam or uk unless you're in germany so you have to be there in order to get access. Same as Singapore. You're not going to get any Asian budget unless you're in Singapore. Okay. So forget it. Unless you get very lucky. So it's about being seen. Um, and there's just huge advantages to being places. The 24-hour advantage is massive for mm-hmm. us now. Like We operate 24 hours. And if we need to hand campaigns across, if they're going really well, we need to capitalize it or going not so well and we need to make sure things are being sorted we can handle it 24 hours which is really really beneficial so we like to end the show with some fast fire questions yep. but before we get into that I guess one of the things that I want to want to throw in there wasn't on my notes actually is what's the thing that keeps you awake right now what's the thing that you worry the problem, about yeah everyone asked me this and at Sport Lobster it was literally everything okay but now it's nothing like is that is that because the company's at a different position now no it's because I'm in control that's interesting at Sport Lobster, I had no control about the end result. I could just do my bit. Mm-hmm. And my bit was never going to be enough to make the company successful or not. It was going to be a decent amount, but it was never going to make it boom or bust, right? Yep. At Go, my job is everything. So if I can't sleep at night, then I'm not doing enough. I'm, I feel like I'm doing all right. Yep. So that's it. And if I'm not, then uh, then I've got to look at myself. And that's the dynamic. If I'm in control, I reckon I can figure it out. So you sleep pretty well now. Yeah, I feel I sleep great. That's cool, man. I've I've got I've got no. Aaron's worse than me at that stuff. Um, okay. He worries more. Um, and it's kind of uh, I think the biggest thing and the biggest advice I give to any founders is get either either if you're a single founder get a senior team immediately, uh, or if you're a single founder that's just starting something, go and find another one. Go and find another founder, because. A problem shared is a problem halved, yeah. and a problem <laughs> shared amongst three is a problem thirds. That's and my it's regret. You know, way better. I've not like it was just me for like it was six years old as business. What we've been doing now is about two and a half years old, but or three years old. It's uh, I, sh- I wish I found a co-founder just to have someone. Then on my the advice would be go and find another business that you can go with, and you can merge. Ah, uh, okay, that's interesting. That's what lots of lots of agencies do. That okay, um, and they you find another agency founder who's in a similar position to you maybe they do you're both doing two million turnover you're both similar EBITDA and you go look we're much better as a team I really like you 
bang, let's go together, rename it or hybrid the name, and then it's. Well, oh, that's a few cool. people that did that. Yeah, I never heard about that. And to be honest, you just tackled the last question of the quick fire, so we'll jump into them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so number one is, uh, what is the one thing you would? I've just realised how close you are in terms of the age gap. Normally, the last people I'm speaking to, there's a bit more of a gap. Uh, so, what is the one thing you know now that you tell your 18 year old self? <laughs> um, keep networking. Keep meeting people. Make the most. People pay money for advice. Get the advice for free. That's what I'm doing right now, man. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it, right? The, it's cost me a train down to London. Yeah, and I get I, this time. I, I, when I first started, all I wanted was advice from the journalists football journalist I just wanted to be in football journalism so the only way to do it was going to talk to every football journalist now I created a podcast where I can invite them on where I can give them an audience I went to every pub which I knew journalists hang out with hang out at after work I bought them pints cost me five quid but they'll remember my name for the rest of their lives and I go for dinners I still even though they're and you know this is probably unfair but they're relatively useless to me now given, given the, the career path I've taken versus what I thought I was going to take mm-hmm. I still take them off for dinner every six months because I owe so much I like to that. people like Tony Evans and Henry Winter and those guys who gave me so much time and effort when they didn't need to um, mentorship people pay non-execs for advice they pay um, advisors and things like that like you can create a brilliant network of advisors and mentors all sorts of different ages all sorts of different experiences all sorts of different verticals for free if you put in the work like it so yeah i just tell myself to just keep going like you're doing the right thing go and meet people go and spend the money you have although it's no money it's sticks in the mind and find things that those potential mentors love and for some of them it was you know a drink after work and that was it and all i needed was five pounds in my pocket and i could make them remember me for the rest of my life um, and that's so valuable and it's been so nice having some of those guys who literally met me when I had nothing walk into this office and go fuck me and then we go through our like Twitter DMs what we sent to each other in like 2012 um, just me asking for stuff and chasing them for things and like fucking hell this is this is cool this that's is cool, cool man I really um, so yeah relationships yeah, I really are everything. like that uh, what's the number one tool service or hack that you use to get work done that our listeners might not have heard of so I'm not very good at using things. I'm I'm WhatsApp man. Uh, I, I my laptop's on my desk here, but I hardly open it. Um, just I, for show. I, yeah, I just I I've got do. members of my team that do that. I swear they just like slapping the keyboard. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a phone man. My screen time on my phone is pretty unbearable. Um, you, you could run the business from your phone. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't need a laptop. Um, all my business is WhatsApp or email. But things that people use in the team Monday which is like a planning uh, tool. We use it. I'm uh, struggling with it. Really? We probably need to come and sit one the, of your the, how the, to use Monday the, sessions. The, the proposals team do that in terms of um, assigning tasks and understanding yeah. where they are in the flow. We use Salesforce, which is pretty book standard. Um, I think really the biggest tip is see how much value and learn everything that Google Docs can do because okay. it can do so much that you're probably using tools that you think are really, and you're probably paying for tools that are really expensive that mm. Google Sheets can do and Google Slides can do and Docs can do. And there's so many different plugins that you can add into Google that make it great that, yeah, just that my, my tip would be slim down the amount of tools you use yep. because they can overcomplicate things as much as making them easy. I like Trello because it's super easy, super simple to just see things, but we're whiteboard guys as well, so. No, it's cool. We no, wheel, like it. wheel those around, and, and I'll show you around the office later. I'll show you how many whiteboards there are in this office. It's like people getting things on 
paper like the proposals team as you can see through the door like they have two whiteboards they're just constantly putting stuff on like going this is the situation yeah i like that is that them individually for brainstorming is that visibility for the rest of the guys that are working on the same thing is that curious i think okay cool both uh next one for me is what's the best piece of advice you've been given and who gave it to you um god that's hard um what do i say to that my mum said i'd never make any money online <laughs> that's a great piece of advice because it made me want to prove her wrong yep um and i'd start all my like, keynotes with that like her quote um so that's good um i don't know i think some of the advice that we give out now um is I can't remember who said it to me, but I definitely am, am regurgitating things that other people said. And it might have been Aaron that said it to me mm-hmm. when I was 18. It's like, stop trying. Like, you're really good. Stop trying to impress me. Like, t- stop doing loads of shit that is completely unnecessary to just try and impress. Like, you're really good. Just do that. Like, do what you're really good at. Um, and there was a few people in here that came in and they're like, like, and bustle and like asking like, it's like whoa chill out like we know you're good don't worry about it okay like you're going to be judged on what you do not what you say you do and how much like i don't care yeah results driven company yeah. yeah yeah so i think that and m- make sure people like you because people only buy from people they like no salesman no hated salesman has ever been a millionaire no, i'm a salesman at heart so i'm yeah. good at to be yeah. honest so that that's 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 probably the best piece of advice in order for us to build the business is make sure they like you and we've always when nick aaron and i started this were and tonight hopefully will be a good pr- uh, proof of that and the awards we're going to um because we've always been the guys that people like mm-hmm. um and they like to spend time with and hopefully just like to hang out with and you know we're going to an awards do with with the sports industry of which we've been in for six seven years and we know everyone there and the proof in the pudding will be how many people come up to our table rather than us having to get to them um and i'm hoping that that's a nice way of measurement i like that that's cool what was the last thing you looked at and thought i can make a business out of fixing that problem vlogging vlogging b2b marketing b2b like it okay because we couldn't do it we literally couldn't do it like, the, only, the only work we've ever turned away is B2B um, and so we're just building a case study for ourselves like how can we how like obviously you've got the Gary Vee stuff where he's created his own personal brand like yeah. we're not trying to do that we're trying to create a company brand um, and no one's done that so would you say that's the motivation behind the vlog to you to sort of get proof of concept that this thing works uh, there's a few motivations behind the vlog um, it's proof of concept in order for us to sell it it's proof of concept as a business for other people to know about us as a business and then mm-hmm. they buy stuff um there is internal communication which has been massive 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 for us because of international uh, people can see what people are doing it comes back to that upstairs downstairs thing i talked about earlier where people yep. don't know what people are doing now they know everything and we did a survey in the office before we started the vlog and one of the main motivation for us to actually do it was that in the surveys one to ten how much do you know of what the directors do every day and the average was two and a half and we're like wow like why don't we show people like i don't do anything fucking secret squirrel like i just do stuff and when i go around and people ask me what i've done today it's very difficult for me to tell them because i'm like i'm genuinely not sure i've done loads of little things and i end up just saying i just make sure everyone gets paid that is my job um, it breaks down into loads of little things um, and that's quite difficult to break down so we just like show it as it happens 
like it. Uh, if you recommend one book or podcast, what is it? I love the On the Tools podcast. Like something that's just a bit different, a bit fun. Like I, the reason I love Lee and Adam and Andy and I love Jamie as well is because they just don't take themselves too seriously. And that's kind of the feel we want to get across in the vlog as well. Mm-hmm. For us, it's like everyone who takes a business a bit too seriously is a bit of a wanker. It's like there's so much more to life than this. Yep. And that's why I love Lee and the, those guys because like, they, they've realized and they're so self-aware to the fact that they've just stumbled upon something that's yep. great. And they're like, let's just enjoy it <laughs> because it's it, God knows how long it's going to last. And that's very much my opinion of this as well. Like, I don't know how long this is going to last. That's why we're trying to scale as quickly as possible because we're trying to future-proof ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd go for the um, How's Your Week Been podcast with uh, with Lee Wilcox. So that's the thing. I actually watched it late last night with Jamie Boulding, who's another good friend of mine. That's on my list to listen to uh, on the way back. Yeah, actually. he did a really good job actually, Jamie. And again, it just realized like those boys can get the best out of the guests and uh, because they just make them relax. It's like they're just laughing at the guys the yeah. guy, like just makes it brilliant I was on like two weeks ago and he he, he knew where to press me to get the, the things he wanted out yeah, of me like a great interview uh, the last one uh, is who's had the largest impact on your life I don't know um, that's really hard I think I've, I've gone through lots of different stages um, I think it's a bit of a cop out if you say your parents mm-hmm. um I think everyone today has, by the way. Okay, so let me let me caveat that. I okay. think, so my mum was a single parent. Yep. My dad uh, owned restaurants all my childhood. Yep. So for two different reasons, they showed me a lot of different things. Mum showed me that you can do it on your own and doesn't matter what adversity you face, you can, you can work it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, she always gave me the best that she could and it was I had an amazing child I went to the, to the best schools in the country um, public uh, state schools but mm-hmm. I always went to the best in the country we lived in the best areas I played the best golf clubs like everything I wanted to do I had but we had no money but she made it work um, a lot of she, respect for that yeah and she went to court to get me in the right school like she did everything that's cool man um, and my dad showed me that hard work paid off and taught me everything about coping under pressure because I worked in professional kitchens when I was 13. I trained as a chef when I was 13. So I was doing 100 to 200 covers a night when I was 13, 14. So like that pressure thing was like, this is easy, man. Like <laughs> the, the, the thing that I vowed to my mum at 15 was like, I'm not gonna become a chef because it's awful. I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to do that job. It's awful. But when I was 14, 13, 14, 15, I was earning the most in my school because I was doing a fucking job. Yep. And I could, I literally was looking at people doing, like, complaining about like post rounds and things like that. I was like, you don't have a <laughs> clue, mate. <laughs> I, just, I just served um, AA Rosette fucking food to 200 people last night and I'm knackered. <laughs> but that taught me so much. But Aaron gave me the chance more than anyone else. Um, so he's had a sort of later life. But the thing that made the most significant change um, and he's going to be very left field was my sociology teacher uh, in A-levels um, I was a really good academic student mm-hmm. uh, straight A's at GCC uh, predicted straight A's or A-stars at A-level at AS I just went I don't I don't need this anymore I, I built websites at that point I was making money I could do it and I was kind of stimulating myself in other things and I dropped psychology because I got like a, uh, an E or whatever and then 
I left history, IT, and, and sociology. And they brought in the rule the year I started that, that college that you could have a laptop in lessons because that was just how it worked, right? <laughs> See where this is going. Um, and IT and history banned me from having a laptop because I wasn't doing anything. I was doing my own shit. My sociology teacher sat me down and went, I've heard the other lessons have banned it. Now I'm going to make a deal. You can, I know you make money. Go and buy another laptop. Do your work on one and do your sociology work on another. And I went, deal. And I got an A in sociology and I got, I got Ds in my other lot. And I'm like, that changed my life because he allowed me to do everything I wanted and I could, I still had the, ability to do it like, I was way above what I what I was learning like it's the same thing you do here like if you're smart enough we're going to yeah, trust you to get the yeah, stuff just, done just, I, no, that's I cool. can figure it out yeah just give me the give me the tools right give me the tools to do what I want to do because I, I, if you give me everything your side I'm going to give you everything my side and I do so much work for social media. also I was really interested in it mm-hmm. but that moment changed my life Feels like it's had a like, big impact in terms of how you run the business here. To be I think honest. it's a big, big part of it, um, but also just that that I could dedicate time to something that I knew was going to further me further than my A levels, and he saw that, and he was a really smart guy, and I, another guy who I keep up to date with every six months and take out for dinner because um, I've got so much respect for him, and he introduced me to those journalists because he was a former BBC journalist, and these, it's like very sort of unknown quantity, mm-hmm. uh, and my mum will hate me for for not picking her. Um, but she got a shout out, so <laughs> should be happy with that. Uh, so, uh, and my dad won't listen. So, um, the yeah, I think him and Aaron uh, and Aaron for sure in the work life, yep. Aaron. But in terms of that moment where someone trusted me to do the shit I was good at, uh, Chris Thompson, my sociology teacher, for I sure. absolutely love that, mate. Listen, I could keep talking, I honestly think I could keep talking to you for the next three hours, but you're a busy yeah, man. Yeah, be a great book. I feel like Joe Rogan. <laughs> Uh, for people listening to this right now, where can they learn more about you? Plug, Watch the daily vlog. I think that's something. the. Where's the best place? Where do you want to direct them to to uh, go find it? YouTube, I suppose. The Go Agency on YouTube or LinkedIn um, on the Go Agency's channel as well. We release every day about six seven p.m. The whole story of the day before, vlogged uh, by the lovely Matt over there, who's uh, celebrating behind the camera. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we have a team that just follows. Aaron, I, Nick, and the rest of the team. We, it's not a personal branding thing. We're not wankers. We're not going to tell you how to run your business. We're just going to show you how we run ours. Um, and you'll meet amazing characters. And the beauty of it is that um, there are some amazing characters in every office. And we've just managed to pluck out a few and show them their lives as well. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. And um, I'd implore everybody who has the capability to do it to create more awesome content because if you're a founder or if you're doing something in a business and you want to look back on it uh, there's nothing better than being able to watch every single day of your life for a whole year and that's where i want to go i think this is gonna be the best year of my life and it'd be awesome on january the first uh when i have the day off on uh new year's day in a year's well in nine months time now that i can watch every single episode of my life from the last year that'd be awesome and then in 10 years time Mate, absolutely loved it. Appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show, mate. No worries, man. Thank you very much. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Don't forget, head over to Startup Stories and hit subscribe because that's where you can find all of season one and be ready for when we drop season two. Speak to you soon.